A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by the new podcast, Anomaly. Vanessa, one of my favorite YouTube holes to go down is like role play fantasy tabletop multiplayer games where I don't really know any of the people playing, but I love watching them have an adventure. Well, Casper, then you would love Anomaly. It's a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land once vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. I am genuinely going to download this right now. This sounds amazing. (laughs) This podcast combines traits of a great dungeon master and those of a talented meditation guide, weaving tales of fantasy that stretch the imagination while you learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, and relieve stress. This is available now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. It's Anomaly spelled with an I-E at the end and not a Y. Go to S-E-E-K-A-N-O-M-A- L-I-E dot com. That's SeekAnomaly.com to find out more. Chapter 19. The Lion and the Serpent. Harry felt as though he were carrying some kind of talisman inside his chest over the following two weeks, a glowing secret that supported him through Umbridge's classes and even made it possible for him to smile blandly as he looked into her horrible, bulging eyes. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, an announcement before we get started today, which is that we are so lucky the Fetzer Institute just made a big contribution to us in order for us to offer more scholarships on our pilgrimages. And so to that end, go to readingandwalkingwith.com to apply for those scholarships, everyone. And a huge thank you to the Fetzer Institute who we're partnering with on making access to spiritual care for non-religious folks more accessible. The Fesser Institute is so amazing. Do you know where where the Fesser Institute is located, Vanessa? Is it in Michigan, Kalamazoo? It's in Kalamazoo, Michigan, hometown of Colette and my father, one of the great small cities in America. Vanessa, for our Patreon perk today, our Every Flavor Bean segment, we're going to talk about lucky breaks. So there's a, a moment in that chapter today when Ron is in practice and he makes this amazing kick save. It's such a good save. It resembles like some great professional keeper's famous save. So I'm going to tell a story about something that happened to my cousin. My cousin is a police officer in Japan. 
And he experienced something very lucky during the course of his normal duties in Japan. And it's a fun story. And when I suggested this is something to talk about, Vanessa said, oh my gosh, you have to tell the story. So I'm going to tell the story. <laughs> if you are not a patron but would like to hear this wonderful story and all our Every Flavor Bean segments, go to patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. Vanessa, today you're going to tell us a story about grace. Yes. So Matt, as you know, I was a proctor. So I lived in freshman dorms in my 30s for seven years as a glorified RA, as it were. And one of the things that you did as a proctor is you got you got feedback every March or so as to how you were doing as a proctor. And in my seventh and final year as a proctor, my feedback was not as good as my previous years. I was at that point in a relationship with Peter for four years and very close to his kids. So I was spending weekends <laughs> away from the dorms with Peter and the kids. I had started going on pilgrimages and so it would be gone for big chunks of time. And so my, my life really just wasn't centering around community life in the same way that it had been in the previous six years. And it became clear that I should not proctor anymore, that I was not taking sufficiently good care of my students. And I felt like a tremendous amount of shame about that. I feel really guilty that I wasn't better at it that year. And yet I was really sad and kind of stressed about leaving. I knew it was time for me to go, but I like really didn't want to go. And then there was this end of year party for all of the proctors, and it was for everyone, not just the people who were departing. But two of my best friends who had been proctors were also leaving as proctors, and that is Casper Turkile and Julia Argies, so names that our listeners might know, were also proctors at the time, and they were also leaving. And I, I got teary at this goodbye party, and I realized it wasn't because of not living in the dorms with students anymore, but because I had loved living on campus near such close friends. I like got to go on a walk with a close friend nearly every day. I had a quote unquote hide a key that was not hidden from anyone and people were in and out of my apartment all the time. Not just not just close friends, students, people who wanted to visit my dog, right? Like, and I just realized how much what I was gonna miss was living a life where I got to walk everywhere, where I was running into people all the time, sort of living like a small town, like small village life. And that was the moment that I was able to offer myself a little grace on why I had stayed that extra year. And I wish that I had known that about myself a year sooner, but I was like, oh, I understand why I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave this like special situation where I get to live near so many people who I care about so dearly. And so I think, you know, it's hard to offer ourselves grace, especially when we know we've made a mistake, especially a mistake that has potentially hurt other people. But I think that one of the ways that we can offer ourselves grace is through some reflection and understanding why we did what we did. And then I think, right, once you understand and know that you can potentially, you know, make choices with that information, I think that grace is much easier to come by. Vanessa, that's such a great story. And it's so fascinating because grace has so many meanings and can take so many meanings. Yes. And the one you focused in on, I think, really points to what its root meaning is. Your story really speaks to the idea of grace as almost like 
forgiveness or like mercy, like going easy on yourself or maybe easy on others. Maybe not easy. That's too trivial or something. But the, the word grace comes from a Greek root word that we've actually mentioned recently. We did an episode on charisma a few episodes ago. And the root word of charisma is a Greek word, which is charis, which is also the word that is the root of grace. And when we did etymology corner for charisma, I said, charis means grace. And now we're doing it for grace. And charis more specifically means in the ancient Greek means unearned favor or unearned merit. So something that you receive that you don't deserve is grace. And I think that's why we get the idea of forgiveness or mercifulness as an idea of grace. But then it also in the European Middle Ages, it becomes the Latin word gratus or gratia. And that starts to have the sense of like being pleasing or pleasant, right? Because gifts, things that we don't earn are nice to get. And so it just carries this like general sense of goodness and also develops corollary words in English like gratefulness and gratitude. Those come from the same root because when you receive something that you don't deserve, you become very grateful for it. And eventually because of all these like positive connotations, it starts to develop meanings that are a lot like elegance or beauty. So you can talk about like a graceful dancer, right? Which right. when you think about it is really ironic because if the root means like unearned gift, a graceful dancer is graceful because they have worked very hard, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. To like, to to portray that elegance and, and beauty or whatever. But all these meanings kind of accrue around this central concept of like receiving something that you don't necessarily deserve. And your story, I think, like draws out one version of what that might be. And I think our chapter draws out lots of versions of what unearned merit might look like or what favor that you don't deserve looks like. Okay, Matt, are you excited to remind us what's happening in this chapter? No, I am not. Okay, <laughs> on your mark, get set, go. So the chapter begins and uh, Hermione has devised this coin system for notifying people of changed meanings. And then they have a lot of Quidditch practice and Ron is very stressed because Ron does not feel prepared for the resume of, resumption of Quidditch. And then they go to breakfast and Ron eats doesn't eat breakfast and Harry does. And then and then Hermione's like, don't let him look at the, the thing the Slytherins are saying. And she kisses him and then that's a big thing. And then they go to the match and there's a big match and the Slytherins are not very nice. And then Harry gets the snitch. And then uh, they, they are ruthlessly teasing them and Harry punches and then McGonagall tries to fix it. But... Uh, uh, what's her name is mean what's her name yep umbridge umbridge is mean yes it wasn't my best 30 second recap but i am reminded of what you always say which is that this is a team sport it is not gryffindor versus slytherin here we are members of the same we are members of the same yeah we're both hufflepuff we're both hufflepuff is what i'm saying yes vanessa can i count you in for your 30 second recap where you will repair all the things that i did wrong Yes. I'll do okay. my best. Three, two, one, go. So Harry is just walking around and is like, you can do anything to me, world. Cho Chang has a crush on me and I am rebelling against Umbridge. And he's just feeling great about it. So they have this match and Luna has her lion. But other than that, everybody's rooting for Slytherin and really mocking Ron. Harry catches the snitch, even though Ron was really bad at being keeper. They're going to win. Gryffindor wins. But then they really lose because Malfoy causes a fight. One of the twins and Harry get into a fight and they all get punished. I didn't finish. I didn't get to the end of what you did either. I was a bad teammate, Matt. You know, that's okay. I'm going to show some grace. <laughs> that's okay. So, Matt, I think one of the most obvious places for grace, especially with this definition that you've given us of unearned gift, is 
Harry seeing the snitch and the language of it is very much like moment of grace to me, right? So they are down several points because Ron keeps letting in quaffles through the hoops. But then Harry sees the snitch and the language in the text is they were saved, saving the Gryffindor Quidditch team. It did not matter that Ron had let these goals in. And like, that's just luck, right? Who sees the snitch first? Who, I mean, I guess, like, to some extent, you have to, like, stay alert and be looking. But it's not, like, any real skills in that. The skills in the flying in order to get the snitch. And the language here, I just find so interesting. They were saved. Yeah, I think that moment really captures, like, multiple possible definitions of grace here. I mean, in classical Christian theology, I know that's what all our listeners come to this podcast for, but (laughs) grace is absolutely tied to salvation. In fact, that is the definition of salvation or the rationale for salvation is that we don't earn it, we just get it, right? And so grace and salvation are kind of used interchangeably as terms in language. And so it's not surprising that this idea they were saved because Harry just happened to notice the snitch that was you know, available for him to retrieve it. That's one, that's one meaning. Another meaning that grace can take is just of like fortune or luck. That is associated with grace because of this idea of unearned favor. You can see how this word starts going in so many different directions. But then the other thing is that like, it's not a foregone conclusion that Harry is going to be the one to get the snitch. Because what Malfoy is doing, since Malfoy is not as good a seeker, is Malfoy is watching Harry. And like where Harry goes, Malfoy is going to go. And the text tells us actually they're both going for the snitch And Malfoy has the advantage. Like, it's actually Malfoy has the more direct align just because of the location of the snitch when it was sighted. In some ways, that's just unearned favor on Malfoy's part. But Harry's a better flyer. Like, Harry just has this innate talent. Talent is always more complicated than just a natural gift. People work hard to develop the talents they have. But one talent that Harry has that he has worked hard to develop is as a flyer. We've learned, especially in in book four, that one of his greatest gifts is his ability to fly. And he beats Malfoy to the snitch because he has this talent. And you might imagine someone in the stands watching Harry fly this way would say, boy, he's a really graceful flyer, right? And I think that would capture some of that as well. Like his talent, his skill, the gracefulness with which he scoots around Malfoy and grabs the snitch first is also tied in with all these other meanings of like unearned favor, luck, salvation, all these other things. So this moment, Harry's kind of interactions with grace or Harry embodying these different definitions of grace, the moment you highlight is a a really rich one in exploring the meanings of this word. And I think it's so interesting in the context of how the chapter opens, because Harry is going through just like an incredibly difficult year, right? He is carrying around a ton of trauma. He is being ignored by Dumbledore. And then Umbridge has essentially been sent to the school to personally torture Harry. And yet the text describes him as having a glowing secret that supported him, right? And that is because he knows that, you know, no matter what Umbridge does, he is resisting Umbridge, right? Like he is meeting with the DA regularly. And he's so excited, like one of the things that, gives him this like sense of glowing is how well people are doing, right? Like Colin Creevy is able to do this spell well and Neville is able to do this well. And he's just like so excited that everybody is learning and that he's a good teacher. And this is just so rewarding. And that is able to create the space for him to be more gracious, right? Like Ron is messing up a lot. And what he wants to do is save Ron. He's not mad at Ron. Umbridge is still being 
just horrible, but he like has the patience to be calm and put up with Umbridge because he has this secret. And I think that's often something that frustrates Ron about Harry or Draco about Harry, that Harry doesn't feel this way, but from the outside, it can look like Harry is sort of like touched by something lucky and therefore he can like get away with more things. And even though that's not experienced by Harry, I do think it's much easier to be gracious and to find moments of grace. I don't know when you're well fed, when you're well slept, when you're when you're lucky. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you're thinking about grace the way you talked about in your story, right? Like being willing not to hold something against somebody, right? Like in order to, to not punish someone, you also have to have the power to punish them in the first place, <laughs> right? Like, this is like a kind of a classic critique in, in Western philosophy. There's a really important 19th century philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, and he talks about, he has all these theorizations of power and so forth, and he talks about how, like, punishment is the exertion of power, and punishment is, we punish those who fail us because we're trying to show them that we're more powerful than them. But then he has this kind of, like, twist at the end of this essay where he's like, oh, and by the way, the most powerful thing is to not punish somebody. Because that shows that you don't care. Like, you don't need to punish them. Like, you are so powerful that you don't need to exert your power to still hold it. And so this long essay about, like, justifying punishment, at the end he actually says, but actually you're best if you don't punish anybody. And you can see, like, grace in this sense, grace is showing favor to people who have not earned it. Like, that requires some power. I mean, another example here is Umbridge shows favor to the Slytherins, even though they don't deserve it. Like, Crab broke a rule. Crab actually enacted the first act of violence, right? He threw the ball after the whistle blew deliberately and tried to hurt Harry, but Umbridge is all the power and Umbridge gets to show favor to whom she wants to show favor and she decides that she will, without merit or cause, show favor to the Slytherins and then come down really hard, show no grace to Harry and George. And Fred! And Fred, that's Who right. wasn't that's even right. there! And wasn't even part, right? Absolutely no grace in that sense. So we talked about Harry. Let's talk about Ron, because I think Ron has some complicated relationships to Grace in this chapter also. Ron has this moment at practice where he shows what everyone thinks is like this gracefulness of skill when he does this amazing kick save of a quaffle that's about to go through the hoop. But then we learn later that like he confesses to Harry that like, oh, I was falling and my foot just happened to kick this thing. And so what I've actually received is all this unmerited favor from my teammates who think that I have all this potential to be a good goalie, that all that needs to happen is I just need to do more of that and less of everything else, which is me, you know, messing up. But actually that, like, that was me messing up. And when I'm trying, I do worse. So he's getting all this unmerited favor, which he's experiencing his grace. Like the team is being very supportive of him, even though he's not doing a very good job. They're all supporting him and they're all like cheering him on. And they're all like hoping that he will be able to do exactly what he needs to do for them to win. <laughs> and it makes him mad, right? And I think that's so relatable. Unearned grace can just be humiliating you're like stop giving me the benefit of the doubt i'm right like <laughs> I'm, I'm bad at this whatever it is i just painted my office and i hated the experience of painting and everybody kept saying to me oh but you're gonna have such a sense of accomplishment at the end and i was like no i'm gonna feel shame because it's gonna look bad like, stop being gracious to me. I'm telling you, I am messing this up. And so I, I think that it's, 
a funny thing about grace when we just like don't feel like we deserve it. Like the unearned part of it is exactly what we should be grateful for, right? We should be like, I don't deserve this, but thank you. But it can be so icky feeling. And so I just really understand (laughs) what Ron is going through of like, you're assuming that I'm a good person or whatever it is. You're assuming that I'm complaining about painting my office because I'm so attentive to details, but I'm complaining because I'm bad at it. Yeah, I think sometimes what you want more than favor is understanding. Right. right. Like I think what he he feels really alone right now. Yeah. Ron does. When he goes to breakfast with Harry, he feels so alone because no one understands how afraid he is. And he just wants Harry to understand how afraid he is, even if it means losing Harry's favor. And Harry quite gracefully says, Oh, if you could do it accidentally, just imagine what else you'll be able to do, right? He <laughs> still gives him favor. But I remember one time I messed something up and I'll, maybe I'll tell it as a story on the podcast someday. And I was kind of confessing it to Colette. And before I started telling her, I I said to Colette, I said, please don't try to make me feel better about this because I need you to just understand that I understand I messed up. Yeah. And I'm, you know, like I I was telling her, like, you're great at taking care of me. I don't want you to take care of me because I feel crummy about this. And what I need is for someone to acknowledge that I feel crummy about this, not to tell me I shouldn't feel crummy about it. Right. And when we have those people in our life who are full of grace you know, like who always look on the bright side of anything we've done and are sometimes we go to them for exactly that. Right. Right. Because we want them to look on the bright side of the thing and tell us it's going to be okay. But other times we say to them, you know, please don't do that because what I need is to not (laughs) feel like you don't understand what I'm going through. Right. Right. And that's what, that's what Ron's doing here. But the whole team is very forgiving, right? Like the whole team is very graceful. They're all very supportive of him. Part of me wonders like if they lose this match or if, if they were down 170 to 10 when Harry grabs the snitch rather than 40 to 10, if the team would be less gracious. Because, you know, in terms of coaching, Angelina, kind of like Oliver before her, doesn't seem super forgiving or understanding of people's shortcomings or practice schedules or any of these things so far in this book. Yeah, it's easy to be gracious when there's no harm. You know, Hermione is able to be very gracious to Ron. Because not only does Gryffindor end up winning, but also because she doesn't care about Quidditch, right? She's like, she cares about Ron and she cares about Harry. And she is instantly forgiving of Ron not being a good keeper because who cares who wins? And so what she's really worried about is Ron. And I think you really see that in this moment where, you know, Hermione is realizing that all of Slytherin and not just all of Slytherin, but like a lot of the students at school are wearing badges that are just attacking Ron and are going to sing this song, Weasley is our king, which, you know, is ironic and mean. And she sort of pulls Harry aside and is like, don't let him see this, right? Because she wants Ron to have as protected an experience as possible. And I think that one of the reasons it's so beautiful, this like act of grace from Hermione, is that it's not strategic. It's not like, because then he'll do well in the match or like, no, let him see it because that'll make him mad and he'll do well in the match, right? Like she just wants to protect Ron because she loves Ron. I think that's I think that's all true. I think it's a little bit strategic, at least on my reading, mm-hmm. right? Because what she does is is she gives Ron a kiss on the cheek, right? Which kind of flummoxes Ron and catches him off guard. And, you know, the way this scene goes is Ron had left the table for a few minutes or something, right? And as they rise to leave from breakfast, Hermione takes Harry's arm and whispers urgently to him, we're told, don't let Ron see what's on those Slytherin's badges. 
And then Harry looks at her questioningly, and she shakes her head in warning. And then she kisses Ron on the cheek, says, good luck, and walks off, right? I think that this is a genuine kiss. I'm not trying to say it was fake, right? I think she has genuine fondness and affection for Ron. I think she also has awareness that Ron is into her. Uh She's known that since the last book. And she knows that this will distract him while he was walking out of the dining hall. And so it's a genuine thing in that she she wants to do this for him. But I also wonder if there were not a crowd of Slytherins with this button, if she would do the same thing. She might because he's also going to he's probably going to fail and she knows he's probably going to fail and she (laughs) wants him to feel good. So not strategy in like a cheapening way, not strategic in a way that makes it disingenuous. But I think that she knows that, like, Ron's into her, and if she gives him a little kiss on the cheek, like, he will be distracted in a positive way. He'll be thinking about the right things, that people (laughs) do care about him, that it doesn't matter what the Slytherins are doing. And it works, because they walk right out of the dining hall, and the whole time, Ron is just, like, kind of starry-eyed and, like, wondering what just happened, and Harry gets him out before he (laughs) sees any of the buttons. That's Grace, right? (laughs) That's, That's Ron. Like, does he deserve to have Hermione... Loving him? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) But she does, and she does something very kind and supportive to him that helps him get out of that dining hall without seeing what they're about to do to him. Does anyone deserve Hermione's love? She's so smart. She's so smart. And she's waiting for Ron to get smart enough. Like, that's what she said in book four when she's like, if you wanted to go to the dance with me, why didn't you ask me? Like, she knows, and she would have said yes, right? She's, She's waiting for him to get smart enough for her. And knows that he is into her, too, but just doesn't realize it, hasn't figured out what that means for him. And so, like, part of me just kind of likes this kind of knowing Hermione, who's, like, just perfectly willing. Like, she knows exactly how it's going to turn out, so she's not anxious in any way. And she's just using this little tactic to to help her moronic paramour. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, listeners. This is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information. And be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsorryworks.com. 
You know, Vanessa, there's one other thing about Hermione that I think we might characterize as grace, which is kind of related to things we said before about grace so far in this chapter, but I think just uncovers one additional facet of what sometimes we mean when we talk about grace. At the beginning of this chapter, you know, they're trying to figure out a way that all of Dumbledore's army can be notified when there is a a meeting scheduled or a change of plan for a scheduled meeting. And Hermione develops this plan. She gives people coins, galleons, and instead of, you know, the numbering on top, she adjusts using what they call a protein charm. Uh, she, She makes it match to Harry's. So if Harry's number changes, everybody else's number changes. And she explains this quite matter-of-factly to the assembled Dumbledore army, and they're all like kind of in stupefied silence. So she interprets this as the assembled army not liking her plan for scheduling. And so she's starting to backtrack and say like, well, we don't have to do this if you don't want to. And then Terry Boot is like, you're able to do a protein charm? That's a newt level charm. And then she just kind of blushes and says like, oh yeah, yeah, I guess I can. Oh, right? yeah, I guess and I am what, that awesome. Oh. Right. And so, like, everybody else is, like, they're stunned into silence, not because the plan is bad, but because they could not even conceive that it was a possible plan because none of them can do this this charm. I think another kind of aspect of grace, and this aligns with some of the things we said about talent, is when someone can do something very difficult but seems to do it effortlessly, I think that's what we mean when we say someone does something graceful. So, right. like, when Harry flies a really difficult route and overtakes Malfoy to grab the snitch, but seems to do it effortlessly, like we call that graceful. And in that sense, you know, Hermione's skill with magic is absolutely graceful, right? Like she's able to do difficult things. And I don't want to cover the fact that she works really hard. Like she studies really hard. But she also the benefit of that study and also her natural talents is that she is able to do difficult things with grace and with ease. And that's one of the things that we mean by grace too, I think. Yeah. Sometimes though, grace is a double bind in that not only is what you're doing hard, but part of what is hard about it is that you're supposed to make it look easy. Yeah, that's true. That's right. And I just wonder if for Hermione, like it's not just all the studying. It's also that she has to like make sure that she's never showing off about how much she studies and like trying to make it seem like it's no big deal. In certain instances, it's like hard twice to try to be graceful. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Vanessa, now it's time for our sacred reading practice. And this week, we are going to be continuing our practice of pardis, which we've explained in previous episodes, but is the Hebrew word for orchard. And it is a way for us to take a line of text and to go through these stages of reflections. So we try to unpack and uncover what's available in the the line that we select. So there are four steps, but the f- before the four steps, we need to select a line first. So why don't you select a line at random from this chapter? So my line is... Nobody could quite believe their ears until she looked directly at Harry and Ron and said grimly, I've become accustomed to seeing the Quidditch Cup in my study, boys, and I really don't want to have to hand it over to Professor Snape. So use the extra time to practice, won't you? So the first step of Pardes, the P in Pardes is Peshat. Uh, and that's where we talk about the literal meaning of the text. So what is going on in this line and in the adjacent lines? Like what's going on in the chapter and what is literally at stake in the semantics of this line? 
So McGonagall has not given homework. And everybody is sort of looking around the room like, is she really not giving us homework? But then she looks right at Harry and Ron, the two Gryffindor Quidditch players in the room, and says, like, you have to practice and that's why I'm not giving homework to the whole class. And it's this very, like, I've become accustomed to, like, being a winner and, like, don't make me have to hand this over to Snape. And really, like, putting the pressure on them, but also... It's a little bit fun. I can imagine being in school and finding this very fun that my teacher is like, do you know what's more important than homework? Sports. (laughs) It's a surprising McGonagall move. What else would you say is going on in the the sentence? I don't know if I'd say, you know, much more than what you already said. But the other thing we see here is like just how competitive McGonagall is, right? Like that the Quidditch Cup matters not just to students, it matters to these teachers, right? These competitions matter to the teachers, the house pride, house loyalty matters to the professors. Yeah, and McGonagall really wants to win and she doesn't want to lose. And it seems like she doesn't want to lose to Snape in particular, Yes, right? Like it's Slytherin in particular that she does not want to lose to. You have a sense that if this was Professor Sprout and Hufflepuff, McGonagall would still want to win, but the urgency would not. They would still have homework. That's right. A lot of the like the rivalries that we see in the students are also present among these teachers. And that's that's interesting because presumably, you know, McGonagall knows more about Snape's loyalties. Certainly not all the details, but the same kind of rivalries and and competitiveness arise among the staff at Hogwarts. So the second step of Pardes is Remez. But before we do Remez, I'm going to read the line again. Thank you. Nobody could quite believe their ears until she looked directly at Harry and Ron and said grimly, I've become accustomed to seeing the Quidditch Cup in my study, boys, and I really don't want to have to hand it over to Professor Snape. So use the extra time to practice, won't you? So in Remez, we choose a word. Remez means hint. So we choose a word from the line and kind of track it throughout the series, see what comes up, what other associations arise from the hint that we have pulled out. So Vanessa, do you have an idea for a word that we can pull? Yeah, what about practice, Matt? Ooh, practice. Because there is there is Quidditch practice, but there's obviously also practicing of spells. Yep. Right? And the DA is all about practice. Oh, the DA. Yes. I mean, one of the reasons they need to come up with this sort of system for scheduling meetings is because Quidditch has resumed. And so there's all these Quidditch practices and weather's bad because of the time of year. And so they're having to reschedule. They have to fit in all their practicing. I mean, one of the things that I thought about with practice in this book was occlumency, right? Mm. Like, because this is a central tension in this book, right? Between Snape and Harry as sort of like, you know, Snape is the teacher and Harry, there's all this resistance and antagonism between them. And, And then there's all this stuff that happens later in the book where because Harry is too unpracticed at occlumency, like he's taken advantage of. And Voldemort puts him and his friends into a position that maybe they could have avoided had he been able to to practice better or more consistently or more thoroughly. So practice becomes really important. Finding time for practice, making room for practice, doing things that are hard, practicing things that are hard becomes really important later in this book and has some consequences. The only other thing that this is making me think of is that one of the reasons that students hate Umbridge is that she doesn't let them practice and that not letting Mm -hmm. them practice magic is one of the ways that she is trying to maintain control. And that's really interesting to me that like not allowing people to practice something is a way to control them. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 
So Vanessa, the next step in Pardes is Drash. Let me read the line one more time. Please. Nobody could quite believe their ears until she looked directly at Harry and Ron and said grimly, I've become accustomed to seeing the Quidditch Cup in my study, boys, and I really don't want to have to hand it over to Professor Snape. So use the extra time to practice, won't you? So in Drash, we talk about the sermon that we would preach on these lines if we had to preach on these lines in a service of some kind. So what sermon would you preach, Vanessa? You know, you preach the sermon you need to hear, Matt. And I think I would talk about something that you mentioned in our shot, which is that the rivalry that is being felt amongst the students between Slytherin and Gryffindor also exists between McGonagall and Snape. And that that could be part of why it exists amongst the students, right? Oh, yeah. And that, like, when you're a leader, it's your responsibility to project the kind of organization that you want to be the head of. And that, you know, we know from group dynamics that, like, if a parent is going to behave in a certain way, right, like, it's going to impact the way that other people behave that like really we learn by example and you know um and shape our behavior around other people and so just to like not only be careful in how i behave because of the direct impact but also just like knowing that we're all watching each other all the time and influencing each other all the time what about you that's a good one that's that's one i need to hear too Like you, I might want to kind of question the rationale behind this line from McGonagall, because the rationale here is like the most important thing is the outcome that we win. Therefore, you must practice. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I think that's definitely a part of my psychology. I think it's one that's kind of ingrained into a lot of our cultural institutions and our notions of achievement. But like there are other ways of thinking about what practice is good for. Right. That actually the reason you practice is something is because the practice itself has worth that time spent attending to something and being careful and developing a skill has value in its own right, whether or not you win at the end. We have this old saying, practice makes perfect, right? And the implication there is that what we really want is perfection, right? Right, which is actually not achievable. And especially, you know, from the pulpit I preach from, like giving up on the ideal of perfection and actually abandoning it, I think is actually a really important message to give. And instead encouraging people to like, no, if something is worth doing, it's not worth doing because it's going to get you something else. It's worth doing because it's worth doing in its own right. And, you know, these students have so much joy practicing Quidditch, except when everything is on the line for whether they win or not. You know, I I enjoy competition and I played sports in in school, but the sermon I would want to preach would be to just kind of encourage people to, to not place the value of practice on the outcome of the match and rather to just think about practice itself as having its own virtue and value. That's so hard, but so important. So hard. Yeah, so hard. Like in Christian monks and Buddhist monks, like when they talk about what prayer is or what meditation is, it's never about like achieving perfect prayer. Right. It's like (laughs) it's being fully present to the prayer or the meditation you have right now. Right. And understanding that the practice is not so you can get someplace. You are already there. And just being fully attentive to where you are is what the practice takes up. Right. Yeah. So the last step of Pardis is sowed, which means secret. So let me read the line one more time and see if anything shakes loose and if a secret emerges for either of us. Nobody could quite believe their ears until she looked directly at Harry and Ron and said grimly, I've become accustomed to seeing the Quidditch Cup in my study, boys, and I really don't want to have to hand it over to Professor Snape. So use the extra time to practice, won't you? 
McGonagall knows that they want to please her and they do want to please her, mm. right? Like, if they didn't love McGonagall, this tactic would be even more flawed, mm-hmm. right? If someone was like, well, I've gotten used to being in my office and it was someone who I didn't like, I'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> Congrats. But what she's leaning on is the personal relationship she has with them. And I don't think mm-hmm. she's exploiting it. I think she's she's actually showing a little bit of vulnerability to them of like, I know we also just care about each other and like, I want you to win and you want me to be happy and reminding the boys that in addition to her being their teacher, they're all on the same team, literally. Yeah. What shook loose for me is the competitiveness and the concern here is not just towards Snape or maybe not even primarily towards Snape, it's towards Umbridge. <laughs> that that the real rivalry going on in the faculty right now is between McGonagall and Umbridge. And she wants Gryffindor to win and to win with grace and dignity. Yeah. So she can flip it back at Umbridge and just say like, we we have it handled. This is good. We're doing it right. Which is why at the end, winning the cup, but doing it in the way they did where it led to a fight and gave Umbridge the opportunity to exert her power again is as much of a loss for McGonagall as as if they had just lost the match, yeah. right? That behind the scenes, the real rivalry here is with Umbridge. I think maybe that's that shook loose for me when you were when you were talking about your sewed. I love that. Well, thanks, Matt. Thank you, Vanessa. You picked a great line. Our voice memo this week is from Emily. Hi, Vanessa, Ariana, Matt, and the whole Harry Potter Super Text team. My name is Emily. I'm calling in from New York City. I just finished listening to your episode from Book 4, Chapter 28, through the theme of silence. I'd like to offer a blessing for Hermione for the hate mail she receives and the strain which that puts on her. I've been working in food service for the past several years and am currently a barista in the West Village. Like many people who work in customer service, I have been screamed at, chastised, and been the target of very hateful speech for things which are simply out of my control. Oftentimes, the response to that happening is to try to brush it off, to disempower the attacker with laughter, with an eye roll, or in Hermione's case, with silence. However, those interactions are really difficult, and no matter how many I have, they always leave me shaken and jittery for the rest of the day, sometimes longer. And those kinds of responses make me feel like I need to pretend it didn't bother me, when in fact, it bothered me very much. I think Hermione absolutely takes the right course of action when she chooses to not engage with the people sending her hate mail, but I wish that Ron, Harry, Ginny, and the people in her close circle would have taken a moment to acknowledge how scary this must be, how awful it may make her feel, and spent time holding space for her to process this unfounded attack on her character. I hate that her isolation is compounded by her friend's silence on the matter, which isn't broken even when our beloved Mrs. Weasley participates in the hateful rhetoric. So my blessing is for Hermione and anyone else who encounters that kind of treatment and is expected to just brush it off. May you be surrounded with people who are willing to sit with you in those moments and honor how those attacks may linger. Thank you so much for this podcast. It's been such a treasure and such a gift in my life. Bye team. Emily, thank you so much for that voicemail. And it's uncanny how much it reminded me of just things that we talked about today, right? The like double bind of grace that not only do you have to take someone yelling at you, but then you have to act like it didn't bother you that someone yelled at you. 
And how just like, you know, I know we talk about this a lot with Harry that like trauma begets more trauma, but just like it can often feel that even one bad thing is piling on top of another bad thing because one bad thing usually means more than one bad thing, right? It means that management isn't coming in to protect you. It means that, you know, the maybe you're also going to get a bad tip after you got yelled at, whatever it is. And so, yeah, just how important it is for us to protect each moment with integrity because these things really can just pile on. And I'm so sorry that people do that. Emily, I'm so sorry for the treatment you received. I mean, the other thing I was just thinking about is like how certain roles, like taking abuse is seen as like part of the role. Like in order to be a good server, you let people shout at you and don't shout back. I mean, that <laughs> right. there are obviously jobs where being angry is like, you're good at it. Like football coaches, like when they get mad and yell at officials, we're like, yeah, that's a good football coach, right? But officials... They aren't allowed to shout back, right? And so, like, it's weird how in these responsibilities and any job in the service sector is one where you're expected to be silent. And you're so right to point out in those roles, it's really important that your friends, that your team come to you and support you and acknowledge you and let you voice what you need to voice to them afterwards. And and you're also right to point out that it fails to happen for Hermione in the book. So thank you for flagging that. And again, I'm sorry for for all you endure in the West Village as a barista. I am a person who deeply values my baristas at my local coffee shop. And so I hope that there are some folks in your line every morning who value you also and counterbalance the difficult interactions. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who've been loved and lost. Jackie Hammenhoff, who was 95 and joyful, a minister's wife, a nurse, and a mom. Lulu Castillo Gomez, who's an amazing teacher, mother, and coworker. Leonie Schroer, who was 13 and who was sparkling, joyful, and loved. Leslie Ardler, who was 89, a grandfather and defier of statistics. May their memories be a blessing. So Matt, it's now time for us to offer our own blessings. And I am going to bless someone who we didn't get a chance to talk about today, and that is Hagrid. And it's just for this little moment, Hermione says, I can think of one thing that might cheer you both up. And the boys are like, nothing will cheer us up. I don't even know what you're talking about. And she just says, Hagrid's back. And just what a gift this person is, that the fact that he exists back in their orbit, the fact that he's back, is going to cheer these kids up. They haven't even seen him yet. It's not like they're interacting with him. Just the fact that he's on the same property as them is enough to buoy their spirits. And I just think that speaks to how special Hagrid is. And so a blessing to just everyone, because I feel like everyone is that in someone else's life. Just you being there, you existing in the world makes someone happy just that you exist. We're happy you exist. Yeah, and I think it's it's... Hermione too, right? Because Hermione like is noticing herself being buoyed and is able to name it for Harry and Ron. I would like to bless 
the sorting hat. <laughs> I know what for. Because Terry Boot asks Hermione in this in this scene that we talked about already, how is it you're not in Ravenclaw? And Hermione answers kind of matter-of-factly, you know, the sorting hat considered putting me in Ravenclaw, but decided I'd be a better fit in Gryffindor instead. And absolutely right, sorting hat. You made a good call. These three need to be in the same house. Yeah, and I think it also just speaks to the the sorting of the houses. I think some of the traits that we see are kind of superficial, but they're deeper dispositional traits maybe that put people into various houses. And Hermione's got Gryffindor in her bones, and she belongs with Ron and Harry, so that's where she is. One of my favorite theories on sorting is that you get put in the house that is like your second dominant feature, the one that you Mm. could thrive in, but that you need a push. Uh, and like like Hermione's got Ravenclaw covered. Yep. Luna's got Hufflepuff covered, right? Like yeah. Harry's got Slytherin covered. Like these are the things yeah. that actually they need to grow into a little bit. That's an amazing theory. I love it. Isn't yeah. that great? Yeah. Going back to my blessing that we love all of our listeners. One of our listeners taught me that. So That's interesting. Nice. Matt, next week we're doing Book 5, Chapter 20, the chapter Hagrid's Tale, through the theme of heartbreak, with a special guest who is the person who does the best Hagrid voice, which is Casper Turkyle. That's not why we're having him on, but it is a bonus. Matt, before we do our credits, we love to shout out our iTunes reviewers, who are LZA777 and Dolphin Emoji. Art Splash, thank you so much for your reviews. We love seeing new iTunes reviews come in, and we're so grateful to you. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry Productions is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to Emily for their voicemail, to Lara Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper DeKyle, Natalie Fulkertz, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who sent in the names of your loved ones this week. not really a secret but <laughs> is it ever <laughs>